groups. My name is Derek, and I lead uh, City Hill students. And uh, thank you, thank you, ten of us that are, are happy that I'm students. But um, we've been doing this series called Build This House, and uh, the premise of the series is from Psalm 127 and 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And so we want the Lord to build the house, not, not just this house, City Hills Church, but also the Bible says that our bodies are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we want the Lord to build us as well. So build all of us uh, corporately as a church, to, that we, everything we do is what the Lord is leading us and guiding us and also building ourselves up in the Lord. And we've been looking at the early church and the blueprint of the early church in the book of Acts and what that looks like. And, and we looked at how the early church was a church that was born in prayer. And then we looked at how they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were a people of praise. And then last week, Pastor Brandon preached about the Word of God and how we value His voice. We value the Word of God. And today we're going to take a look at the early church community, at the community of the early church. What did that look like? What did they, what did they do and how did they interact with one another? And the greatest parallel that I have found for church community is at the mall, at the kids' play area. Come on, how many take their kids to the mall play area? Or maybe you didn't intend to. You intended to go to the mall and shop, but your three-year-old and your five-year-old was acting a fool, and you said, forget all this, we're going to the playground. But the wonderful thing about the play area at the mall is that there's no judgment that takes place at the mall playground. It doesn't matter what you look like. A matter of fact, the more disheveled you look, the better. Like, you better not show up looking all nice and neat. That's the only judgment that may take place. Like, you look way too nice to be trying to get a break here at the kids' area. We have other parents waiting in line. You need some coffee stains, maybe a bloody lip from where your five-year-old threw a Tonka truck at your face. Like, we need you to look a little disheveled. And, and in order for the children to get into the mall play area, they've got to have some sort of sickness. So, you know, it just starts out with the common cold. You're in. You got the common cold. You know, this kid's battling a sore throat. You know, he's kind of a wimp, but go on. You're in. You know, one kid has a full-blown flu. He's definitely in because we know the flu virus is there on those, th that equipment. And then the kids that are healthy, it's just, God bless you, good luck. Good luck. But guess what? There's, there's one common theme and one, one, one uh, unspoken rule at the mall play area, and it's this. That if your child is making a run for it back into general population, it doesn't matter if it's your child, if it's your friend's child, or a kid you've never seen before. Come on, parents, you've seen this look before. Across the way, little Johnny is making a run for it, and Mama's like, Johnny, get back here! And he's taking off, and she gives you this look like, please do something. And guess what? You're allowed to grab little Johnny and say, look, you got to stay in the play area. Why? Because parents realize when you're at the mall play area, we are all in this thing together. 
Like where all the parents are on a team versus all the little kids, which you're outnumbered three to one. If they decide to unionize, we'll be in trouble. But we're all in this together, and this is what the early church had an understanding about, that they were all in it together. They just broke free from a religious system, and that religious system was actually trying to destroy them and persecute them. We see that in the book of Acts, that they were, they were coming against the early church, so they realized, hey, we need one another. And we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this picture of what the early church community looked like. And it's a picture that, that we can model our church after. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we see here the early church maintained this small group community. That there was a large group. We know that 3,000 were saved on that first day, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church. 3,000 were saved. So you had this large church, this large group of people. It said that they would go to the temple. So it's a picture of our church, right? We meet together on Sundays, and there's a large group. We have this large group of people, and we, 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 we have to fill it up three times because there's more people. And you ever hear people say, well, I don't like a big church, or I don't like to have a small church. Well, both of those people are wrong. You should like a big church because heaven and hell are on the line. And you should also like a small church because that's where you can be transparent with one another. And so here at City Hills, we want to grow larger and bigger, not because of our ego, not to pat ourselves on the back. We want to grow larger. Why? Because we want to see souls saved. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see marriages healed and put back together. We want to see kids coming back to God. We want to see life transformation take place when we come together on Sundays. But we also want to grow smaller together and meet at homes. Why? Because that's where you can get real with one another and the mask can come off and you can be transparent with people. So we grow larger and we grow smaller simultaneously. Larger to see lost people saved and smaller because we want to see those saved people discipled through small groups. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were happy to be together. And all through the New Testament, we see this life transformation that takes place in small group settings. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? 
If, if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard this song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. If he had a small group or a, a small man mentality or complex, I mean, he's up in heaven saying, would you please stop singing that song? We all realize I was short. Will you stop emphasizing it? But Jesus goes up to Zacchaeus, who's climbed up in the sycamore tree because he was a wee little man. And Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Now, I do not suggest this approach for small groups unless you're Jesus, and none of us here are Jesus. But to walk up to somebody and say, hey, guess what? Coming to your house today. Hope you have something on the crock pot to feed me and my five kids. But that's what Jesus did. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And the Bible says that that day, Zacchaeus was saved. We see Mary and Martha, these two sisters that invite Jesus and the disciples over for dinner in a small group setting. And it's through that relationship that that Lazarus, when he dies, which is Martha's brother, he dies. And Jesus raises him from the dead all because of Jesus going to their house for dinner. We also see one small group that was so popular. It said that the house was packed. It was full of people to the point where people were blocking the doors and coming out of the doors. They were spilling out everywhere. But there was a couple of guys who had a friend who, who was paralyzed, and they said, hey, we got to get into that small group. That small group is rocking. That Jesus is in that small group. If we can just get our friend in that small group, then he can be healed. And so they were like, we can't get through the doors because it's too packed. So they climbed up on the roof. They ripped the shingles and everything off the roof, ripped a hole in the roof of the house and lowered their friend down and Jesus heals a man. So we have salvations taking place in small groups. We have people being raised from the dead. We have people who are being uh, healed and, and, and raised up from being paralyzed. And no pressure, everybody, if you're leading a small group. I mean, you know, you guys are sitting there like, well, all we do is drink coffee. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, we just want to talk about life. We just want to do life together. But the rebuilding of lives doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in relationship. We were not created to be alone. There's only two chapters that we get into the Bible, and God says it is not good that man should be alone. And so he gives Adam a, a wife named Eve, and they're in paradise. What a small group. Paradise, just you and your wife, no kids. You don't even need kids care in the first small group. The first ever small group, just Adam and Eve, just hanging out. What a, what a wonderful time. But people just want community. They want to unite around similar interests. One of the biggest conventions in the world is called Comic-Con. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and, in, and there's, it's a big convention town because the way that the downtown area is set up. And... You knew when Comic-Con was in town because you had grown men like, dressed up like Spider-Man and Superman. And these weren't like costumes you get at the Halloween store. These were like handmade, homemade. Mama made them while they were living in the basement. And they, that's, and they, had their, their, they have their, laser, their lightsabers, and they're not the ones you get at Walmart. They're the legit lightsabers that, you, that might actually cut someone in half, like the legit ones. And they got, you know, Star Wars collections that cost more than my house. I mean, but, but, but guess what? They have a community. 
They have people that, that they are together. People just want community. It's not about the lightsaber. If you boiled it down, I'm not a psychologist, but you boil it down to the root of it. It's not about the lightsabers. It's not about the tights. It's not about the, the Star Wars collection. It's about community and friendship because we were made to have community and be together. The early church understood this. They went house to house, eating together, talking with one another, having food, and it said they did it with gladness. They said they were happy to do it. See, we get so busy in our lives and the things that we have to do. Our culture is so busy, myself included. We, we, we seem to worship this thing called busy. Sometimes busy is way up here and everything else is down here. And somebody w wants to go out and hang out for, and have some community. You're like, oh, I just can't. I got this going on and that going on. But it said that they did it with gladness. The people just want community. I mean, grown men and women will go out together and look for Bigfoot. They know good and well there ain't no Bigfoot. But they're together, and they're having a good time. But it's in these communities that people find friend. And as, sac as, as shocking as it may sound, people don't come to church for the music or the preaching or the coffee. People come to church for community because people don't just want a friendly church people want friends like everybody wants a friendly church of course what's the what do you want an unf unfriendly church some of y'all are like yeah i want people to leave me alone and not smile cool that's fine we, you can work out you can work in the media booth it's great just kidding everybody in the media booth i love all y'all you could turn my mic off right now and i couldn't do anything about it but people want friends. They don't just want a friendly church. It's so important not only to have friends, but have the right friends. The Bible is full of scripture about having the right friends around you. It says here in Proverbs 13 and 20, walk with the wise and become wise. But if you associate with fools, you will get in trouble. So we will become like the people that we expose ourselves to. So it's so important to surround yourself with faith-filled friends because your faith will affect your friends and your friends will affect your faith. I'll say that again. Your faith will affect your friends and your friends will affect your faith. Last Sunday night we had the main event and I was talking to the students about this and I was talking to them about Winnie the Pooh. We went real deep. We was talking about... I was telling them that they, they've got, they can't surround themselves with the Eeyore types. There's too many Eeyore types. Don't be an Eeyore. You think, if the, you leave today, what do you talk about? Don't be an Eeyore. That's fine. Don't. You know, everything is gloomy and sad. I hope that it rains. I don't know where my tail is. Everything is bad. But you know what you need when you read Winnie the Pooh? You need Tigger friends. The, the bouncing around, excited, whatever you got going is what I got going. Hey, you need to go conquer the mountain. Let's go conquer the mountain. Tigger is bouncing around, singing his song surround yourself with people who lift you up you get to choose your friends you don't get to choose your family but you can choose your friends 
So if you got an E or you just say, you know what, man, we're gonna, we might take a little break. I need to find some tiggers in my life. I need to find some people who are going to lift me up. Get around people who are going to draw you closer to God. Dr- get around people who are going to encourage you to, to live for God and do things for God. And when you tell them your hopes and your dreams, they say, guess what? God can do it because God can do anything. God can do the impossible. God can transform your life. God can make away when there seems like there's no way because you need friends. You need friends that you can be transparent with. Friends that you can tell things to and it's not going to go on Facebook or on the next phone call to the next friend. People that you can surround yourself with. Maybe you're here today and you say, I just don't have those type of people in my life. Well, guess what? Today we're launching small groups and you can find those people. See, people not only want friends, but people need friends. Friends is not just a want, it's a need. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, it says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. See, the enemy would like to get us isolated and keep us isolated because we are vulnerable when we are isolated. Temptation begins with isolation. It's Jesus who is tempted by the devil when he's alone and isolated. And if the devil is going to tempt Jesus, God in the flesh, then he's definitely going to tempt you and I when we get alone and isolated. So when things come your way, when, when, when life happens and all the things start coming down, and don't, don't run away from your group of community, this church. Go towards it. Press in harder. Go in stronger towards your friend because we need people. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12 says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer together. I don't know about you, but I like that. See, you need to surround yourself with people who have your back. Because I don't know about you, but you can, you can see, I, I, I'm not very tall, and, and, and I'm not very large. So I'm going to surround my people that, with people that are bigger and stronger than me so they can have my back. So they could have my back. And, and, and hey, that goes spiritually as well. You say, well, I'm struggling spiritually. I'm struggling in this way. Hey, fine. Find some people who are, are full of faith. Find people who aren't struggling spiritually and get around them because why? Your faith will affect your friends and your friends will affect your faith and they will lift you up. I want to show you a story in the Bible where a man's small group literally saved his life. The man's name was David. And at this point in Scripture, he's king over all of Israel. And they're fighting against the Philistines. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 21 that once again the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. And Ishbabinab, we're about to have a third son, and that was not on the list. Ishbabinab. What a name. Could you imagine him growing up? Ishbabinab, you get over here. Like, what was his full name? Because that was his first name. Ishbabinab, you get over here right now. I don't know why my mom just got country because she's not country, but 
Sorry, I, this is my brain, y'all. <laughs> Descendants of the giant. So here's a giant. His bronze spearhead weighed more than 700 pounds, and he was armed with a new sword, and he had cornered David and was about to kill him. This giant had the king of Israel cornered and was getting ready to kill him. David had this enemy his entire life. If you know anything about the scriptures, the Philistines and Israel were always at war. We, we know the story of David as a young boy versus the Philistine giant Goliath. And, and, and they're at war, Israel and, and the Philistines again, and and. David is, is, is just a young boy when he's going to fight Goliath. So he's at home with his, at his father's house, and his brothers are off at war. And his dad says, hey, go get some bread and get some cheese and deliver it to your brothers who are on the battlefield. So David started his life as a shepherd and a pizza delivery boy. And so David's going to deliver this food, and he hears this giant in a field screaming at the armies of Israel, I defy Israel, I defy its God, I defy all of you, send me somebody who will fight me. He was like, I'm gonna, we're going to settle this one-on-one. -on -one. This is going to be hand-to-hand combat. We're not going to fight uh, uh, army versus army. I'm the best soldier that we have. You send me somebody. And all the men were afraid, and this young boy steps up and he says is there not a cause can we not fight I'll fight him and King Saul says you're just a boy like like Goliath has been a man of war his entire life not only that he's a giant and you are just regular sized boy and he's like Saul you don't understand I got this thing called a sling, and God has, has made me excellent with this thing, and I've killed lions, and I've killed bears, and surely God will deliver this Philistine into my hands. And, and Saul tries to put his armor on him, and David's like, no, I don't need the armor. I don't need anything. God has given me a weapon to fight this Philistine for this day. So he goes out, and, and Goliath is, is taunting, saying, am I, what, what am I, a dog that you're going to send a boy to fight me? I'm going to destroy this little boy. He is going to be destroyed. And David says, look, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of, the, of God of Israel, of the, of the armies, and I'm going to come against you, and I'm going to destroy you. And we know the story. He begins to swing that sling, and he throws it, and it hits Goliath right between the eyes, and he knocks him over, and David cuts off his head, and that day, God delivers the, the, the armies of Israel with a rock and a sling and a little boy named David. Because God gave David a weapon that day to deliver Israel from the hand of that giant. And God gives us weapons to have victory over the enemy. Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the tricks of the devil. See, we have weapons 
this armor that God has given us, the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And the, it says that our feet are covered with the gospel of peace. And we have a helmet of salvation to protect our minds. And we have a shield of faith and a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And just like David, God has given us these weapons to give us victory over the enemy. But we see in 2 Samuel 21 with this giant named Ishbabinab that David is a lot older and, and, and he's, he's, he's a, a, an older man now than when he fought Goliath and there's still giants coming at him. How many know that just because you get older, more successful, maybe even stronger in God, the giants continue to come? The temptations may change, the traps may look different, but the enemy remains. And what people don't tell you when you're first saved is that the giants actually get bigger and trickier. There's mis mis misnomer, you get saved, and, and then and, you know, there's never ever going to be a problem. It's going to be sunshine and rainbows and, and skittles falling from the sky for the rest of your life. But guess what? Life still comes, and the enemy still comes. They, must be, they may be less frequent, but when they come, they're bigger and they're stronger. So David had this enemy coming against him. It said David and his men were in the thick of battle, and David became weak and exhausted. No doubt David had his armor on that day. No doubt David had a weapon in hand. Maybe David was going out and said, hey, we're fighting the giants. I killed giants before. I'm going to bring a sling and a stone, and I'm going to defeat all those giants. But the sling and the stone is good for fighting an enemy at a distance, but this was hand-to-hand -hand combat. He had a giant that was right there in front of him. You can't do nothing with a sling and a stone, and it was getting ready to kill him. So we have two things here. David was weak and exhausted, and David was unprepared. Have you ever just been weak and exhausted? Where you're just tired. That, that, that you, you're so weak and so exhausted that it's hard to even muster up enough strength to pray. That it's hard to even, even go to the next day because you feel like the enemy is just coming against you and you know, that you, you know that you should pray and you know you should read your Bible and you know you should get up and, and, and go to church and you know all of these things, but you are just weak and exhausted. And the text says that this giant had David cornered and was about to kill him. But God gave David a secret weapon that day when he was exhausted and unprepared for the battle. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 21, 17, but Abishai, this is David's friend. This is David's closest friend. He is, he is second in command after David. He is the commander of all of the armies. It says Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. And on this day, God did not deliver David by a sling and a stone, but he delivered David by giving him a brother. And there are days that for us, it, it's not going to be another prayer or another daily Bible devotion 
devotion. It's not going to be even coming to church. And this might mess with your theology, but God is going to give you a friend. You need a friend that you can call. When you can't fight the enemy on your own, the enemy or the, the your friend can stand up and say, guess what? I will fight the giant for you. There are going to be days where you need friends who can take down the giants for you. You ever been just going through it and and, and 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 you call up your friend and your friend says, okay, hey, I know you're going through it right now. We're going to stop and we're going to pray together. And you may have zero faith in that moment, but your friend is full of faith and they declare in the name of Jesus, we're going to come against this thing. And all of a sudden they're praying. You're not even saying any words, but all of a sudden your spirit is being lifted and all of a sudden you get off that phone call or you get out of that moment and you're stronger than you were ever before it was nothing you did it was your friend that came alongside of you and said I'm going to pray with you I'm going to be with you hey when your family's in the hospital there's people you can call and they're going to pray and you say hey I don't have that well hey welcome to City Hills Church and welcome to the family because we'll do that for you we'll stand alongside you and we will fight giants for you even when you don't have the strength to fight See, if you and I are going to thrive in the kingdom of God, it's not going to be alone. We have propped up in American culture and society, you know, men that pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, and they did this and that all alone and by themselves. The truth is nobody does nothing alone. And God has designed the church so that we are dependent on one another in order to succeed. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul He's talking about how the church is a spiritual body that needs all of its members. He says, this makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. In other words, we're all in this together. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. Because we are all one body. Ain't nobody ever stubbed their toe and been like, well, my finger, at least my hand feels good. When you stub your toe, every nerve in your body, you just want to go in the fetal position and get to the hospital for like the strongest drugs they have because it's the worst pain ever. And we ain't going to talk about stepping on a Lego. But when parts of your body is hurting, the whole, it feels like the whole thing's hurting. And when parts of the body of Christ is hurting, we are here to lift one another up. When one of us is tired, when one of us is struggling, when one of us is hurting, you don't need another weapon. What you need is a friend. What you need is a friend. And what the enemy would like to do is isolate you from the body. But the rebuilding of lives does not take place in isolation. It happens in relationship. And we see that the New Testament church was unified together. Said they devoted themselves to sharing meals together and going to homes together. And they were stronger and better together. How many have been out west and seen the giant redwood trees? They 
go some 300 feet in the air, and the, the base of the chunks are so large you can drive a truck through them. But the amazing thing about the redwood trees is that most of the time, something that is structurally grows higher the deeper the foundation that is needed. But the redwood trees defy this principle. It says that the redwood trees' roots only grow five feet into the ground. But the secret of the redwood tree is that redwood trees don't grow alone. They grow in groups. Can I tell you that the secret in your walk with God is not that you're going to wake up one day all by yourself and you're just going to do everything by yourself and you're going to pray alone and you're going to read your Bible alone and you know you're going to you know go to a cabin in Montana all by yourself I can tell you right now that would be the worst idea ever when you grow you're going to grow together because there's some things that require another person in order for you to grow and to get better and the storms come against the redwood trees, and they'll sway, and they'll move. But the secret is not in their size. The secret to the redwood tree is that all their roots are connected together. And when you see a forest of redwood trees, every single tree that you see is interconnected. And there is nothing, there's not a storm big enough that can take them down. And let me tell you, when we are unified, when you are unified with your brother and your sister in Christ, there is nothing, there's not a storm big enough, there's not an enemy powerful enough that can come against a church that is unified. There is nothing that we can't do when we are unified and together. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that Paul is going to Macedonia. He says that there was no rest for us. He says that they faced conflict from every direction. They had battles on the outside and fear on the inside. They were facing inner turmoil. They were facing inner battles. They had, he had stress and anxiety coming against him. And they said they had battles coming on the outside. You ever going through it yourself? Just you have stuff going on, and then everything around you, you got family stuff, you got job stuff, you got things all coming around you. And it says, but God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. We know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, the Holy Spirit is our encourager. The Holy Spirit empowers us. But Paul didn't say that God sent us the Holy Spirit to encourage me. He said, in this moment in time, God sent me a friend to encourage me. God sent me Titus to bring encouragement when I had things going all around me. And there are moments in time that you're going to need a friend that encourages you. African proverb says this, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. See, life isn't a sprint. 
It's not a perfect 100-yard dash down the middle of a track that's all clean and perfect with your track shoes on. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Life is a mud run. Has anybody ever done an obstacle course race? About five years ago, decided to do an obstacle course race with some friends. My knees were hurting. My back was hurting. My head was hurting. But you know what? They designed those races so that you can't do it alone. Like literally, you can't sign up for a Tough Mudder race by yourself. Because there are obstacles that they create on the course that you can only get over with friends. There's walls that are just way too high that you need a friend that can lift you up over the wall. And there's some pits that are just way too muddy. And you got to have a friend that can lift you up out of the pit. And there's just some things that they put in those races that you have to have one another. And that is just like life. There are some obstacles. There are some pits. There are some things where you need a friend who is stronger than you are in that moment that can lift you up. And let me tell you right now, if you're in this place and you spiritually feel like you are in the pit... Jesus Christ can lift you up and take you out of that pit and sit you on a strong foundation. But this thing only works if you go all in. Christianity doesn't work half-heartedly. Jesus said the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all everything. That it only works if you do everything. So people come and they say, I tried that out, but it, it just wasn't for me. You know, Jesus wasn't for me. I didn't feel like it worked for me. But you have to go all in. And I don't know what you're going through today, but if you would go all in with Jesus, he's knocking on somebody's heart even right now. He's saying, would you just let me in? He's been talking to you about, about you know what, I, I, I've been coming to City Hills, but, you know, that small group thing, that's just not for me. I just don't know. Hey, a small group might end up saving your life. Whatever it may be that God is speaking to you in this moment, say, whatever it is, I'm going all in. Can we stand together? I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm closing. We see a, a story in the New Testament it's actually multiple chapters in the book of Matthew where Jesus is preaching what's the greatest sermon ever ever preached, Sermon on the Mount we get the all different famous quotes that you would know from, from the Sermon on the Mount but he's preaching this sermon and it says that there's you know people gathered everywhere and when he comes down off the mountain, the Bible tells us that a man with leprosy walks up to Jesus. He heard the greatest sermon he's ever told. He was in a church environment, if you will. The worship band was rocking that day. Jesus was speaking that day. And the man with leprosy gets up. And he says, oh, man, that was, that was incredible. I, 
I have the worst disease that known to mankind that has ever happened. I've got, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be around these people. I'm not supposed to, none of it. I should not be here. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you could heal me. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And the Bible says he reaches out and he touches that man with leprosy. And when he touches the man with leprosy, the the Bible says that that man is made whole. And I tell you that to say that the man heard the Sermon on the Mount. He was there in the crowd. He was there in this big group right here. But the Sermon on the Mount didn't heal him. It was when somebody came down and Jesus touched him. It was the fact that he was in that moment. And you're going to have people in your small groups. You're going to have people that, that, that God brings into your life. And they're messed up. And they've got all this stuff that, that, that takes place that, and, and just with life and, and sin and weakness and disease. And they are wondering, hey, I've heard sermons before, but are you willing to touch me? Are you willing to get close? Are you willing? Because Jesus is willing. But Jesus uses us sometimes to to, to bring people to him and say, hey, I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to take off the mask. The man with leprosy wasn't trying to hide it. He wasn't trying to say, hey, I'm not sick. No, he said, look, I am sick, and I need Jesus, and I need somebody to touch me. And guess what? Jesus is in this place even right now. And if you're sick, he's willing to touch you and change you and transform you. Let's all pray right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that may be sick, that may be hurting, that may need a a, a healing, that may need a relationship put back together. God, there's nothing too hard. There's nothing impossible for you. And you are here, and you're willing to reach out and to touch. You're willing to reach out and transform. You're willing to save children. You're willing to put marriages back together. Whatever it may be, you're knocking on people's heart right now. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will draw all those who are in need right now. We're going to have prayer partners up front. And if there's a need, we would love to pray with you. We would love to bind together with you and pray with whatever situation you may be going through right now.